Club Podcast. Richard West finding out about film and improvisation. It's episode one. The Impro Film Club is set up to make films through improvisation. So this podcast is an excuse for me to go and talk to people who have made films this way themselves and find out how they've done it. So I will be talking to directors, actors, artists, people who have different types of experience of improvisation. What is it like to edit a improvised film? At the end of this episode, I will talk about future interviewees. For this episode, I'm talking to Nancy Hauer. She has made a number of TV series and films. She's based in the States. Her first series was called Ten Items or Less and was set in a supermarket. And she made Quick Draw, which is a kind of Western-themed series. Both very funny. Before that, she made a mockumentary style feature film called Menrom, which was a kind of spoof of the uh, Enron crisis. And I started by asking her about how she got involved in directing improvised films and TV. I first, I went to Juilliard in the early 90s and after I got out, I was acting, doing some things on and off Broadway, and then I came out to Los Angeles, and I was on Star Trek for off and on for about four years, just doing a recurring part. And as I was doing that, I was I started to write music, and that kind of ended up taking off. And for a really brief time, we I you know opened for Meatloaf on tour and. It was kind of a crazy time, but all the time I was doing all of that, I don't know, I just felt like I wasn't fully using everything that I love to do. And then I started to think about writing, and I kind of ended up, through with the help of a therapist, sort of realizing, you know, I, I want to do something a little bit different, but keep in, you know, I love to tell stories, I love to be part of stories. And as I started to expand that, I start, I wrote my first screenplay. And my friend who was in the band um, was dating this guy, John Lear, who she was like, oh, you got to go see this improv show. And I was like, oh, I hate improv. And she's like, no, this is very different. It's long form improv. They would do it for 45 minutes and they told an entire story and it, by the end of it, they had p- played seven, eight characters, and, and it was all completely made up as they went along. And I was electrified. I was like, this is incredible. I had already cast my first movie, and I asked him if he wanted to just come in and do a little something. And that ended up, he came in and did, like, he was supposed to be just sitting in a waiting room. And I brought in his the team that he was working with, too. And we just had the greatest time. Unfortunately, the person who gave me the money for this, this was um, just before 9-11, was working at the World Trade Center. And that film that I was working on, a lot of the people who were helping out were also working there. And just as I was finishing the film, the buildings went down and a lot of people 
died and uh, luckily the person who gave me the money to do it did not but it was I was really shaken up and so I spent a lot of time just editing this one scene over and over and over again because I was like oh wow I could make it go out this way or this way or this way and then I went to um, John and I said you know I can't really engage in the film that I wrote but would you consider working on something with me and you know, I had the camera that from when we had sh- shot the movie, which I was not the DP on. And I was like, I, I kind of want to teach myself everything. Had you had any experience of improvisation as part of your actor training? Have I? Yes. In fact, when I first got into Juilliard, we had the first class we had was um, with a guy named John Sticks, who taught. It was more like Stanislavski or, you know, okay, you're, you know, you pick up a glass and you feel the glass, you know, it was very much to try to get you into, into that. But I also had, I had a director at Juilliard who used to do, he would take apart the classics. Like, for example, I remember we did um, a production of The Three Sisters. And when we did that, he would make us improvise the entire, you know, what happened before we walked in and what happened after. And sometimes we would improvise the scene itself. And then we had um, Kevin Klein came in and he would make us improvise Shakespeare. So we did a lot of that sort of before you get to the words. And did you did you have a, an idea about an imp- improvisational scene? Did you go go to see improvisation I've been to the groundlings and things like that, but it wasn't something that struck me. But when I saw John, that was when I went, oh, wow, this is fun. And then when I worked with him for that one day, we just had a, it was just a mind meld for both of us. And I think he thought, oh, wow, here's somebody who really wants to figure out how to film this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, this kind of pulls in all of my strengths because I was almost like an actor within the scene. What, what do you mean by that? Where did I leave off? So when I started, when I started working on this movie Memron, I had, the, I had an outline and it was gonna be a, a kind of a joke on the Enron crisis. Like what if all these people had been fired and they couldn't get new jobs because the jobs they had were non-existent? I would tell them within the scene, here's, okay, here's what's gonna happen. You've lost your job. Uh, and first I would start with an interview just to get these guys sort of along the Mike Lee's method where it's like, let's figure out who your character is first. So I would interview them. We would, you know, they would bring up stories that would come out of the interview. And then I would be like, okay, let's go do this. Let's go do something that where this story is going to pop up that you told. So for example, one of the first stories John told uh, when I was interviewing him was, there's this woman who she thinks it's so cute because I always talk with my hand. And so I thought, okay, this is a really funny joke that this here's this guy who's in a cubicle next door who's trying to talk with his hand all day. So then when she, I was interviewing her, I said, how do you feel about the fact that 
he's always talking with his hand. And she was like, oh, my God, it's awful. And so I thought, oh, these juxtapositions are really funny. And so then I would go, okay, we're going to do this scene. And in this scene, you guys are both having to go and put flyers on a, on a window, right? And then maybe I would, as we're running around doing them, I would throw out some ideas. So I've, you know, seen their, both of their improvisations. They haven't seen each other. So I might say, hey, John, why don't you do the hand thing, with, you know, and then, and then, of course, provoke her to have her reaction. very hard because I have a daughter um, who has a, a club foot. Her daughter would uh, sell uh, a Girl Scout cookies and I'd always make up some excuse why I wasn't going to buy them, you know. Carl would would um, tease her because I don't know why, but Carl thought she had cerebral palsy. Something like, uh, hey Shelly, uh, what, your, girl, your daughter can't sell her own Girl Scout cookies? Because her daughter had cerebral palsy and so. Hey Shaky Paisley, what, what's going on Shaky Paisley? What's shaking Paisley? And she did begin to shake. I think, and one thing that she thought was really appreciated with me is that I didn't like kowtow to her daughter. When her daughter, I would not pretend that she didn't have cerebral palsy. You know, it was crystal clear that she did. And, and the thing is, you, you just need to acknowledge that. So it was a lot of like sort of being the trickster in the room who's trying to stir it up. And also what I started to do was I didn't want anybody to know what the plot of the movie was because I thought in order to really improvise so that you're not just sitting around writing stuff in, or thinking about stuff in your spare time, I wanted it to happen in the moment. So I would not, nobody would know what they were doing ever. And each week for the, for the first movie, I would right and then we would go and shoot it and I would shoot it and I would do the sound and everything and then I would learn how to edit through the week and I did that for a year and that show became Memron and that and that movie ended up winning Slam Dance, which was kind of what started my career as a director amazing so you sort of uh, learned how to do it as you were doing it yeah and because I, I you know I was I was really lucky in that I had another job this just became kind of like a fun hobby that I would work on through the week. And I was learning, you know, I was learning how to do all this different stuff, but it was, there was no, you know, pressure on me to, oh, I'm making a movie. Um, I was asking you about uh, being an actor, um, and I wonder what was the difference in coming from uh, the experience of being in front of the camera? You know, I think... In the beginning, it was really helpful because mo most of what I did in the beginning was try to figure out what these people did well and really drill down on it and just ignore ignore the stuff that, that wasn't working. So to me, what was really helpful coming from acting is I, I could say to them, knowing what it's like to, to you know be flying without a net, but just know that I'm using like 15 seconds or 30 seconds of this. So, you know, a lot of what I did was try to get the pressure off of A, being funny, and B, like this feeling of like failure that, you know, often happens with improv is like you walk away as an actor and you think, that was awful. And they, and they forget that like somewhere around minute seven, they said probably one of the most funny like off the wall, I've never heard this before jokes ever. 
But now I think that my editing, the fact that I learned editing is actually may even be more important as I, as I get older because I'm editing the scene in my head as I go. And I know now what is going to work and what isn't. There's quite a lot in Memron that is handheld. Uh, you're not using any elaborate tracking shots or anything like that. Is that a sort of yeah. was a practical decision as I, to how you were going to shoot it? Totally. I mean, you know, I I didn't I didn't literally knew how to turn a camera on. What I tried to do in the beginning was because I only had one camera and it was improv. I tried to do this thing where, and the actors got really good at it, where I would say to them, look, I'm going to do a whip pan. And I would say to them, if the camera is coming to you, just take a little pause. And so in the beginning, we all, it was like a dance. We all kind of got used to Nancy's going to whip to me and then I'm going to say something, whatever happens, whatever comes out. So a lot of it was me identifying, one, some people could not speak in a sound bite like they would just go on and on and so i so the great thing was i could just whip away from them and they knew okay you gotta move on it was just all of us sort of figuring it out at the same time and then you know i'd go home and go okay that worked well like and then i I started like sort of a bible of do's and don'ts like one was you know especially with big scenes like don't have people walking around because then i can't you know, I can't, if, there, if there's like somebody who's just like pacing in a scene, I'm just screwed, you know. So, and I've learned to, I, I can do that now, but I have specific rules about it. So, yeah, okay. So talk, talk us through the do's and don'ts. Okay, well, you know, there's certain people who you have to identify this person is great on the first take. The, and, and who also, who's driving the scene. So what I tried to do was mix actors who are maybe have never done improv with people who are you know constantly thinking up new things and you know what's interesting in improv is generally most people are this are are the first thing they they, they'll find something and then they do it in every take and they do it the same way and they almost like learn it like a script and then there are people like john who will never do anything the same way twice if you have someone like John on your hands, there's got to be a camera on him at all times, like, because you will miss it. If there's somebody who you know, okay, this is my go-to person who's going to, you know, who kind of sinks into it and usually doesn't really hit it until like the fourth or fifth take, that person I always leave to go last. But generally now I use three cameras. I do a wide shot and two mediums to start. I always keep a one camera on John. Usually, if if John's in the sh- in the movie, it also depends. Am I going to have interviews cut in? Because if you have interviews cut in and it's a mockumentary, everything gets super easy. You know, you don't have to think about. I don't do a- exits or entrances into scenes when I when I know as I'm watching the scene and I'm and I'm directing the scene. I'm looking for what's the gag of the scene because frankly the yes it's important to get what, the information absolutely but it's more important to make people laugh because I'm doing a comedy so often I'll be like okay uh, as soon as somebody says something that I'm like that is hysterically funny I immediately say great can you do it again can you do it again in that scene and as they're doing it I'm picking up all of their all of the reactions all of the different shots 
and I, you know, I have three camera guys who know what the drill is. And then as soon as I feel like that joke is covered, we move on and I wait for the next one. It's like fishing, you know? So if you, if you have a, a sort of uh, some slapstick or something like that, or you have a stunt, um, do you have to build the scene around that event first? Yes. I mean, if if I'm doing a, a show where there's, I mean, the best example, I guess, is Quick Draw, where there's a, a stunt. First, I will have my stunt guys come in and sort of figure out what the stunt is, and we'll sort of walk it through saying to them, okay, you guys, blah, 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 don't say anything. And then this happens. And then we'll sort of kind of go through it without the dialogue and so that the cameras can see what's happening. And then we'll shoot it kind of in the wides that way. And then we'll kind of go in for close-ups. Uh, I usually am getting one close-up at all times, and it's usually John. I suppose maybe we should go back and fill in a bit of the story here. So after you did Memron, you then made a series 10 items or less, and then Quick Draw that you just mentioned came after that. By this stage, you've done, what is that, five series of TV shows using this method? Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, what happened was we finished Memron, we started taking it around. When it won Slamdance, we were suddenly sort of, oh, who are these guys? I went to John and said, you know, let's talk about doing this as a television show because it it just lends itself to it it's so great because you know the scene work is it's very character oriented and so we just started I had a next door neighbor who was on strike on uh, and I went to John and I said I have an idea for a tv show about striking people who are on strike and John was like that sounds like a great movie but what, you know, they can't be on strike for seven seasons. But I do like the idea of a grocery store because A, everybody's in the same outfit for every episode. So we could just cut in, you know, we could cut in stuff from any episode. I mean, we thought at the time that isn't the way it went down. But we, what we didn't realize was it was a really smart idea because it was during the, the strike. So I took my camera and John and I would go to supermarkets and shoot little things until we got thrown out of the supermarket so we did this for days and then we cut together like a little sizzle reel and i had a friend who worked as like a an assistant at sony and john had a friend who was one of the it's like a development exec at nbc so i first he called her and said hey can we come and just do a practice pitch we know you're not going to buy it we just want to see you know we want you to give us your honest opinion uh we went in and we pitched this thing and in the middle of the pitch she she stopped us and she said i want to buy this and we were like really and she's like yeah and she pulls in everybody and they listen to the rest of the pitch and they were like well we want to buy this so then I called my friend and I said, hey, you know, NBC wants this. And he's like, wait, wait, before you go there, you got to come to Sony, right? And you said you were coming in. So suddenly we were like a hot property. And we went into Sony and said, look, NBC wants this. And of course, in the room, they said, well, we want it too. I didn't have an agent at the time for any of this. And I called a friend of mine who had CAA as her agent. I said, look, I know they're not going to want to be my agent, but can you, you know, ask them what I should do? So she called her agent, her agent called me and on the phone, he said, I'm your agent. 
And I was like, great. He immediately sent us to Fox, and then Fox also wanted it. So we, and when I say they wanted it, they were all like really minor bidding wars. You know, it wasn't like, hey, we're millions of dollars. It was like, who are these people and what, are, you know, I, we'd never run a show in our lives. So our agent very smartly kind of said, look, you guys, we need to jump over the pilot process because you'll never make it. If you have to sit down and write all this stuff out, it's going to be a nightmare. So he worked out a deal where, with Sony where we they they had to make the pilot and rather than do a script deal we did we made a lesser money pilot deal and we did and that was and suddenly we were running our own show we were writing it I directed every single episode and I think partially because they were like we have no idea what you're doing like we have no idea how you do it or what you're doing and it's still very different than the way most improv shows work today yeah. You must have thought, wow, this TV stuff's so easy. Well, I mean, it took like, you know, four years. I mean, if I could tell you the amount of ups and downs, like every time we finished a stage, everyone would get fired. And I was like, this is crazy. And we would think, well, we're dead in the water. And then somebody new would come in and say, I love this, which never happens, by the way. It feels like an overnight success, but, you know, we were kind of living off of that money that we originally agreed on for like two years. I mean, what are the things that would be most difficult for you to do in an improv show that a normal TV show would do without thinking about? Well, it's a, that's a great question because exactly the thing that I've been working on with the, a project that we're working on right now is I have been really dissatisfied with the camera angles that you can get because you're and and the look of it because you're constantly working with three different camera angles it's very hard to light well in all three angles uh, in the first show we just kind of went oh well it's a grocery store who cares but when we got to when we got to quick draw I was like you know I really want this to look like a western but we still were constantly having to, it's like, it's like doing high math, you know, especially a lot of the scenes we had were like 20 different people in it and you didn't know who was going to speak. And so you, you know, you'd put like um, six mics on the people you thought and thought would speak. And then you'd say, look, guys, I think you guys are going to have to run the scene. And then sometimes I would switch mics and say, okay, I'm going to get some one-liners from these two people. Um, but eight was kind of a max for us at, for speaking roles. The other thing was, and the thing that I'm working on now is, uh, I've been really dissatisfied with just simply where I can put the camera. And so we've, I've been working with a guy right now on, I wanted to create a look that's sort of a Wes Anderson look where the camera is mounted, you know, essentially right center mounted. And so, which is impossible with two people speaking. So we've been working with some new rigs to kind of um, hook up cameras that are back to back and then slipping them in between actors, which has worked really well. It's been really exciting. The next thing I'd love to figure out, and I, I don't know that this will ever happen, is transitions. You don't know when the scene is starting and you don't know when the scene is ending. I mean, you said before about the difficulty of having people walking around in a scene. How can you deal with that? It's a, it's, a, it's a great problem to have. I don't know that, that you'll ever really figure out your transitions in a way that 
a, a normal scripted show would because of just simply not knowing what exactly is going to be the best thing that comes out of the scene. You know, often you have to know as an editor, the coverage that I need has got to be there. And so if John says some line or somebody says a line to John, which will often happen or somebody else in the scene that triggers some great monologue, I can't tell you how many times I've walked in and been like, oh my God, we don't have the line that sets up that monologue. And you spend endless amount of time trying to figure out how to get it. Do you watch rushes while you're shooting? No. I mean, I used to early on, but it just became, I mean, it's out, it's, you know, you're shooting for eight, eight hours of material in a day. It's just not possible. We've talked about within the scene, if you're doing a whole episode, how much do you know about the shape of that episode? Our scripts are so, I mean, I know it sounds like we're not writing. We, our scripts are so detailed, it would make your hair stand on it. It's like, it's, it's about 23 pages, very heavily scripted. It reads like a short story. So it'll be like, John walks in and asks Henry why he's wearing that, blah, blah, blah. And then Henry says, blah, blah, blah. And then it like basically will tell the whole story so that A, the, the, the crew can figure out what we need on the day, but B, so that John and I can figure out, you know, like we, we sit and write these things to make each other laugh. And we're like, if the situation is not funny, you can't make actors just be funny in a scene. So what we, we try to do is make sure that every scene has a situation that no matter who walks into it, it's just going to be funny. We send that script off to the studio. They sign off on it. They give us notes. And the great thing is that often if they give us notes, we're like, great, because nobody's going to see this anyway. Who cares if the fake dialogue I wrote, it works or not. But, you know, ultimately, the only thing, the only thing that the only person who isn't getting that information are the actors. And it's not to do a power play on the actors. It's to let them be free when they're in the scene and not feel like the night before, oh my God, I've got to tell the... And because often you'll get... Like we, we've, we've tried little things where we give the actors the scripts and all they do is like try to get out the information that you wrote. And, you know, that's not funny. You know, even if they're coming up with, even if they often try to parrot the jokes that are in there. But what's exciting to me and what's exciting to John about doing improv is not what we wrote, even though I, I think a lot of it is really funny, but it's finding out what you bring to the table. So do do you make the scripts through an improvisatory process yourselves or do you sit down like writers and knock things back and forth? Yeah, no, it's it, it's incredibly wonky because we kind of backwards generate the scripts from the, we do a thing where we graph out locations because we know how many scenes we can shoot in a day. And so like, let's say with Quick Draw, we had two and a half days to shoot a Western, right? So we knew that like, there's like 10, let's say 10 boxes and those would be 10 locations. But two of those boxes we know are a gunfight. So eight of those boxes are going to be telling the story. So we would go through, first we would say, what is funny? Why did we do this? Like, what's funny about this? 
And then we would essentially divvy it up. You take act one, I take act two. But after it's fully broken, you know exactly what's going to happen. And then we will swap and until, you know, we feel like, okay, this is good. Let's end it out. And so how much information do the actors get about each scene? They generally don't know anything. John knows a lot because he wrote it with me, but he's very good at forgetting it, you know, and probably because we're doing like, he, like he knows he's got to channel in whatever's coming to him. I think what the actors will get, they'll get glimpses of it when they go to the costume fitting and somebody's like, you're in a banana outfit. And they're like, why? You know? There's always a, a, a tricky thing. If somebody gives you something in a performance, which is you know, unexpected, you want to be able to use it. Yeah. But you're not always going to be able to do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's always a huge disappointment for the actors to watch the first cut because they know, you know, how much great work they did that didn't make it. And and I mean, truly, you know, for every amazing show, I could probably cut three more half hour shows out of the material we had and never cross the same dialogue twice. You've got an outline of the way the whole episode is going to go. Uh, what happens if someone does something really great at the beginning, but it's going to send the episode off in a different direction? Yeah, it won't make it, unfortunately. I mean, sometimes we'll make a note of it and think, hmm. I remember in the in the auditions for 10 Items, one of the actors had talked about being an ice skater. And we were like, oh, we got to write him an ice skating episode. So, I mean, like things like that will happen. But... You know, we've just learned along the way, the hard way that, you know, and I often will say to the actor, you know, um, if they start going off, I'll be like, listen, just save save it. This is great, but it's just not, it'll never make it in, unfortunately. But you sort of, you know what the payoff is going to be at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. You know everything. I mean, you know more than most scripts because you're, you're also getting what the people are feeling while they're saying the lines. So although everybody is improvising in front of the camera, you still know how the scene is going to begin and end and what the consequence will be for the next scene. Yeah, roughly. I mean, you know, you know what the you know what the plot point is, but you don't know what the in or out joke is going to be. There's a scene in Quick Draw. Um, okay, it's written two women enter and they're looking for a a diary. Okay, we're all clear. Go. Get off my skirt. All right, we're looking for a journal. Nice play. Look at all this stuff. These two ladies enter, and as they're looking for a diary, we have all this stuff that we've thrown around the house just for them to talk about. What is this? Oh, that's a shuttlecock. Whose cock? Stop looking at the sporting equipment and look for a diary. And... At one point, one of them goes over and starts saying that there's a little mouse. And as they're having this conversation, we're like, okay, that's really funny. And it becomes maybe the bookend to the scene. Oh, he's got a hamster. Oh, hello. Oh, you cute. Oh, Tinkerbell. Ah! What happened? Mm. I stubbed my toe. Shit, you think 
you. I got it, Wanda! Get it! I got it! All right. Oh, shit. Time reading hour. There we go. I'm on fire today. Oh. Uh. Tell me your secrets, Bell Star. Oh, in the bar, oh. I told Ford that he Honey, what the heck are you doing? Um, I came to feed Tinkerbell. I didn't know that that was going to happen going in, but, you know, as she started, as we all started to laugh about it, we were like, oh, this is perfect. So it's kind, it's that kind of thing. Like, you're looking for the gag, and you may sometimes find the gag, no, in the min, you know, like, you're like, I absolutely know the gag is going to be about this mouse. And then you can have a great transition in and a great transition out, and you get it at the very end. Um, but generally, you know, it's a little more elusive. Something I noticed through 10 items and into Quick Draw is that sometimes there would be some small indication of the fact that they're improvisers. There's a scene in 10 items when John's friend, I've forgotten the name of the actor, uh, it's the guy. Um, who is also in Quick Draw as the Undertaker? Oh, Bob. Yeah. There's a scene in which he's going to be the assistant manager, and mm-hmm. he starts he starts into this, and they're not paying any attention to him. And then he says, "Now we're going to play the game of me being in charge, or something like <laughs> yes. that." Yes. Yeah. And and he, he the way he said it, it's it's like you get a little fl- flash of, okay, this is like an improvisation thing he's doing here. Totally. And it's it's like something that has come out. It's you can see where he, where it's come from. And I wondered how much how much of that is in the. Sh- I mean, you must have learned a lot about improvisation from being in the contact with all these improvisers and seeing the way they work. Mm-hmm. And part of the the joke of that also is when we started to do ten items, the head of the network said, "You guys, if people know you're improvising." then you lose because there was a real kind of people didn't get it they and we were we in the beginning said guys if we don't tell people that it's improvised we're really missing out on a lot of people who will be like there is no way they could improvise this and we thought it was a, a great selling point but I think they at the time thought it was just too weird. And then as the show started to get into its third season, people started to find out and they I think they finally realized, "Oh, wait, this is of interest to people." So then when we did Quick Draw, we immediately said, "Look, we have to tell everybody it's improv. This should bring in the improv community." And we did. But I I just I don't think people really get it unless they're on the set. They really don't believe it or know what it is i mean a lot of people think like the office was improvised and it's like no going long on a take is not being improvised you know have you come to to appreciate different types of improviser and different skills that people bring to it from the all the different actors you've worked with oh absolutely i think the the thing that always upset me about going and seeing these shows is it felt to me like a lot of people were talking at each other and not to each other. So when I first started doing this and coming from my acting background, I really wanted to find actors who act were, were in the scene first. Let me write something funny so that you don't have to feel like you got to 
outthink everybody. And so, you know, what I like to do is I loved, uh, you know, John and I always love, okay, do these people improvise, but also do they listen? And what about using people who are trained in improvisation with actors who aren't? The improviser gives something to the other actor and they expect them to sort of carry it and continue it and and accept it and the the other actor doesn't <laughs> what happens next I, that's that's usually where I'll come in I mean and this happens with improvisers as well where they either shut down somebody else's joke or they or they try to co-op the scene with some monologue of theirs that has nothing to do with anything or they you know or they just monologue and that's why I'm there, basically. And, you know, otherwise I could just tell people to, you know, here's what you're doing in the scene and walk away. But part of what I look to do as a director, and the, the biggest thing uh, I would say, and the biggest talent you can have as a director of, of comedy, of improv, is to know how to shut a joke down, which means somebody says something really funny. Okay, what's the in and what's the out of that? They either don't shut it down correctly. They jump on something else. I'll go, hold, hold up, hold up. Let's go back. Can you say that again? And then sometimes, not that often lately, I will throw them a, an end cap joke, you know, just something to shut it down. I mean, you said when you started, you were getting in and steering quite a lot, but you're doing it less now. Yeah. That's mainly because we're better at choosing actors who know how to do this. And they're, and they're better at understanding what we do because we've worked with a lot of them. You know, there, there, there were always people like John is a good example where if I, if I start jumping on, on him and saying, oh, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? It just completely throws him off because he's on his own. He's channeling in his own stuff. But then there are some people who, you know, they have a look of what the hell am I doing? This is, you know, there's that meltdown. And those are the people that I'll, I'll sometimes like either I'll throw them a line or I will, you know, just to loosen them up. At the beginning, you were talking about things that had inspired you and you mentioned Mike Lee. Uh, what, what else has inspired you through this process or given you a, a map or a, a pointer as to how to proceed? Well, I definitely lean very much on Mike Lee in the beginning. And now I look to, to I, I'm more towards people like Quentin Tarantino. I mean, he, he was big for me because he, he goes in and he figures the genre out before he dives in. And a lot of the stuff that John and I do, it's, are they're mashups of things. You know, the Western comedy. Um, we, we just did for HBO, this thriller comedy. So a lot of what we do is about sort of figuring the genre out and figuring out the tone. And so uh, that's sort of where my head has been at late lately is like, I'm a huge fan of, you know, I was just taught Wes Anderson is a huge uh, favorite of mine. So I'm, I'm sort of, I feel like as far as a director goes, I'm doing a lot of thinking about visuals right now. Yep. And going back to Mike Lee, what was it just from the experience of watching the films or did you uh, read about his methods or how, how did you kind of tune into that? Uh, when I first started watching his films, I read about uh, how he put them together and uh, I had read that he's he 
brings people in and he improvises with them for a year sometimes and then you know he'll he'll write it out but then a character may meet you know at the first time at the scene and that really affected me when I was at Juilliard I remember we used to do this um, exercise where you would take a postcard and you would look at the postcard of a person and then you would you know you, you would act out everything that they were thinking and doing in the postcard and what I loved about that was you created an entire character out of a picture which I I really loved and I loved that he would have these people go really it was almost like a therapy session they'd go really deep into their lives with him these lives that they were creating and then he would create the scenarios in which they would get into a head-to-head with each other and then as an actor, I once ran into one of the actors from one of his movies, and I asked her, is it true? Is that really how it, it works? And she was, we had a great talk, and she was like, oh, yes. And we had a long talk about it, and I, I asked her, you know, how, how that was for her, and she was like, this, it was the most incredible thing I've ever done. And so that's kind of where it sparked my curiosity. It's amazing to think that this method that he sort of developed in the 60s or whenever it was has inspired you um, in what you're doing today. Yeah. I mean, he he is pretty much the only one that I can think of that really inspired me. Thank you very much. It's been fascinating. Thank you. Thanks very much to Nancy for that conversation. I found that very enjoyable, and I hope you did too. The next episode, next month will be quite different it's an interview with the artist john smith uh, someone who changed my way of thinking about film and i'm very happy to say he is in person as funny and laconic and thoughtful as you would imagine from the character and persona of his films if you haven't come across them before films like the black tower or the girl chewing gum You may be able to find some of them on YouTube or Vimeo. They're very entertaining, as well as being very thought-provoking. If you want to get in touch with me, you can do it via Twitter, at Club, or via the email address, which is on our website. Uh, Please do, I'd be delighted to get any feedback. Or if anybody else is interested in improvised films, or can suggest somebody else that we should be speaking to, I'd be very pleased to hear about them. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe on iTunes, and then you'll get notice of the next episode. And if you had a moment, are very enthusiastic, and would like other people to hear about it, then please put a review on iTunes, and that will help spread the word. So, until the next episode, bye-bye.